So we're continuing our Christmas party series today. So uh, week one, we did an 80s Christmas party, and uh, some of you were dressed in some awesome, awesome uh, 80s outfits. Um, and uh, we talked about how uh, Joseph went back to his old stomping ground and all that, what that meant. Then last week, uh, J.R. Briggs was with us, and uh, uh, we talked about an ugly sweater Christmas. And uh, we, uh, uh, a lot of us wore ugly sweaters. Um, and how sometimes the ugliness of Christmas uh, can, uh, uh, we can just uh, gloss over the ugliness of Christmas and the scandal of what Christmas uh, was. But for so many people, Christmas is an ugly time. Well, today we're going to, uh, the title of uh, what we're going to talk about is White Elephant uh, Christmas. And we're going to talk about gifts um, today and the gifts at Christmas. But have you ever wondered, why do we give gifts at Christmas, Right? Why do we give gifts at Christmas? Have you ever wondered how strange our gift giving is at Christmas? Typically, when someone gives you a gift, it is because you have achieved something, right? Like kids on a sports team, they get a trophy. My son all the time now, when we play anything, Dad, do I get a trophy? I'm like, son, you don't get a trophy for everything, right? So, but when we achieve something, we, we sometimes get a gift. Or when people are celebrating us. Like our birthday or an anniversary, we get gifts because they're celebrating us. But have you ever thought about Christmas? We didn't achieve anything. Nobody's celebrating us. Well, they shouldn't be celebrating us anyway at Christmas. So why do we give gifts at Christmas? Well, I think there are typically three reasons why we give gifts at Christmas. I I mean, there could be more reasons, but I've kind of nailed it down to three reasons. The first one is this, to show someone we love them right? You want to give a gift because you want to show someone we love them. The second reason I think we give gifts is because because it's tradition, right? You grew up in a culture where it was traditional to give gifts at Christmas. Or thirdly, and this is sadly the case for a lot of people, you give out of obligation. You know, you've got people that you love in your life and you want to give that gift to. Or others, like you just always give and so it's tradition and it's great to give these gifts. But there's always that one family member, you know, who you don't really get on. You never really like see them at all. Every year they send you a gift. So you feel obliged to have to give them a gift. Now, maybe that's not your case. Maybe you guys are perfect and you all give out of love. But I guarantee here this morning, there are some gifts that you are going to give this Christmas and you feel obligated to give those gifts. But I think that's really maybe the three reasons why we give um, gifts at Christmas. Some of you, it could be all three reasons. You feel obligated, it's tradition, but you actually are giving out of love as well. Uh, I remember when I was 11 years old, I told my parents I wanted to go and buy all my family Christmas presents, and I wanted to buy them. I wanted to go out and buy them. Well, I didn't have much money, you know. I I, I couldn't work at 11 years old, and uh, so I didn't get much allowance. So I didn't have much at all, and so I I, I went uh, to a few consignment shops, see if I could find anything, and uh, some little, like, Christmas fairs that people had and things like that. But I didn't know what to get from my grandfather. Uh, But I knew my grandfather was a handsy kind of guy. He was like a carpenter. He, he, He was good at anything, you know, like like handsy guys are good at. And so I was like, well, let me go to the hardware store. So I went to the hardware store and uh, I couldn't see anything I could afford in the hardware store. And so I'm looking around and 
and uh, I, I see something that's in my price range. And I didn't really know what it was, but I knew if it came from the hardware store, then he must like it. And so I bought him some flypaper. Now, for those of you <laughs> who are young, you know what flypaper is. Flypaper was back in the day before we had air conditioning. We used to open windows, and flies used to get in. So what you would do, you would get this sticky stuff, and you would attach it from like one side of the room to the other. And when the fly came, the fly was caught. What a great gift, right? I've actually got a picture of my grandfather. This was my grandfather. Uh, sadly, he, he passed away last year and went to be with Jesus. And, uh, but he was a great man. Uh, he, uh, he, he looked like the, the guy, or he looked like the guy who was on, I think it was the DreamWorks, uh, um, uh, when, when the DreamWorks movies, and he was like the old man, you know, with no hair and stuff. So, but that was my grandfather. And uh, so uh, I got a fly paper, and he was very gracious. He was like, oh, thank you. What a wonderful gift gift. So the lesson of the story is if you ever get me in a secret Santa, you don't want to get me in a secret Santa, right? Because I may give you flypaper. But what, why do we give gifts? Well, for those of you who know what the Christmas story is all about, you know the tradition of gift giving often comes traditionally from what people see as the three kings who went to the stable where the newborn baby was born and they came and gave gifts. That's what most people think is the tradition of gift giving. And really it does. It comes from that story. Now the story is a little skewed at times in our school plays and uh, uh, in sometimes our Christmas cards. For those were not kings. They were not three kings. In fact, they were what you call magi, where we get the word magic from. And the Magi were interesting people. They were actually a group of pagan men who studied all forms of religion and they studied the stars. They were experts in studying the stars. They came from eastern lands. Probably they came from Persia at the time, which is like modern day Iran now. And what history reveals is that they probably did not actually get to Bethlehem when Jesus was a newborn baby. In fact, history reveals that possibly Jesus could have been a toddler by the time they got there. So that, you know, but I don't want to ruin your Christmas. So, you know, we don't know for sure, but that's what a lot of historians believe. Now, there wasn't three of them either. So on the Christmas cards, we see three camels with three guys with crazy headdresses, right? And they come. Now, it probably was not three. It was probably a whole caravan of them. And what I mean by a whole caravan of them, like a whole convoy of them, there was probably a lot of different ones who came that day. Some people believe that their journey to come and see Jesus could have lasted anywhere between six months and two years. That was a long time. The star reportedly did not appear before Jesus was born, but a lot of people will argue that the star appeared the night Jesus was born. And so then they followed a star. But these were pagan men who did not serve the gods of Abraham, the god of Jacob, and the god, the god of Isaac. They, they, they were not Jewish men. They were men who believed in all different faiths. They, many people believe that they actually believed in lots of different gods. And so their story is a fan, fascinating story of somebody who is far away from God who comes and finds the one true God. Now, these ancient gift givers, if you remember the story, they came and they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which when I was a kid, it was always gold, frankenstein, and myrrh. 
But they came and gave these gifts. Now, these ancient gift givers, they did not come and give out of love. Like many of you will give to your loved ones this year, like you are giving out of love. They did not give out of love. They did not give out a tradition. It was not traditional to come from a, a faraway land to give to a stranger who you'd never met before, give gifts. They did not come and give out of obligation either because they were not obligated to give. So why did they give gifts to the child? Thought about that? Why did they give gifts to the child? Well, let's take a look. For those of you who love the Old Testament, I want to take you back to a book in the Old Testament called Numbers. And in chapter 24, there's this interesting exchange that goes on. There's a guy called Balaam. And Balaam is like a rogue prophet. Like he hears from God, but he's also like a dark side to him as well. That's how I would refer to as, as Balaam. He's not like your Isaiah's or Jeremiah's or Samuel's who like you almost think are like perfect human beings, even though they weren't. Balaam has kind of a little like edge to him. Well, he has been hired by the king of Moab called Balak to tell him what the God of Israel is, is wanting to say, right? So King Moab, the king, king, uh, king Balak of Moab is scared of the Israelites and he wants to know what's going on. So he hires this kind of rogue prophet to hear God speak. And this is what Balaam says to him. In Numbers 24, I'm going to start reading at verse 15. He says, this is the message Balaam delivered. This is the message of Balaam, son of Beor. The message of a man whose eyes see clearly. The message of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who bows down with eyes wide open. I see him but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. It will crush the heads of Moab's people, cracking their skulls of the people of, of Sheth. Edom will be taken over and Seir, its enemies will be conquered while Israel marches on in triumph. A ruler will rise in Jacob who will destroy the survivors of it. So here we've got this prophet, Balaam, and he is basically saying to the king of Moab, Balak, he is saying that a star is going to rise. And this star is going to come and it's going to conquer you. And it's going to conquer all the nations around. And, that, and Israel is going to rise. So the Jewish people, they, they, they heard about this prophecy and they, they, they embraced it. And so they were always waiting for who is this star that's going to rise. Now, Jews today will believe that star was King David. And King David rose, came to power, and he conquered many nations. Hence why you have like the star of David today. But as Christians, we believe that David actually was not that guy think maybe it might have been Jesus. See, a star in the ancient world was a symbol for a king, even though it's seldom used in the Bible, that symbol. But in the ancient world, they believed it was a king. A scepter 
was a symbol for royal power. For royal power. So a king who has power. That's what Balaam is saying. Now let's go back to the Magi. The Magi were experts in all different religions and faiths. They would have known about this prophecy. And so now knowing who the Magi are and knowing about this prophecy, let's now read the story of the Magi in Matthew chapter 2 and let's see if it makes a little bit of a difference for you. So if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to start reading at verse 1 and we're going to go through to verse 9. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men or magi from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. Remember, they believed that the star was a symbol of a king. So they saw this star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Maybe they're linking numbers together and thinking, is this the guy? Is this the one who is going to come and rule the nations? Verse 3, it says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, and was as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of religious law and asked them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the, ma- with the Magi, or the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. Uh, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And it went and stopped over the place where the child was. So let's just quickly unpack this story just a little bit for you. What do we see here? Well, there's three different people in this story that I want to emphasize very quickly. The first one is the Magi. We see here that the Magi followed a sign. The Magi followed a sign. They saw his star as it rose and they followed it. They saw a sign. Now, there's a couple of things here that is interesting. Because of all the people who went to see Jesus or even heard about Jesus, the Magi are the only ones who an angel did not appear to. Mary, an angel appeared to him. Joseph had a dream when an angel appeared to him. The shepherds, when they're in the fields, the angelic host appeared to them. The Magi, there is no angel. All they see is a star. Now, the Jewish law forbid fortune telling. It was largely believed in the ancient world that the stars could tell the future. Right? How we get like the stars today and people read the stars, you know. What, 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 are, all the, what are my stars saying today? Well, people believe that the stars told the future. But in ancient Israel, it was forbidden to fortune tell. And they believed that the reading of the stars was not a godly thing. Some of the kings at the time, 
They feared the stars because they believed that the gods were telling signs to the stars. So if someone says, I've seen something in the stars, they would not have been happy about it because they feared for their throne. So think about this for a moment. Here are some men who are not godly men who see a star sign in the sky and this sign is something that is forbidden under Jewish law. And they follow it. Think about that for a moment. The second person we see in this story is Herod. King Herod. King Herod is disturbed. He feared a takeover. Many rulers, like I said, feared astrologers because they didn't like what the gods were going to say to them. Now, when the Magi came to Herod, he must have been so insecure, he was afraid of his reign. Listen to what they said. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. Herod's the king. He's suddenly thinking, hold on, this is news to me. Like, nobody told me there was no memo that there's a newborn king being born. Like, what is going on? Immediately, he's thinking, the Messiah, the Messiah. Where's the Messiah? He's suddenly scared. He's insecure because now he's feeling, I'm going to lose my purpose in life. I'm going to lose my throne. I'm going to lose all that I've gained in life. The final personal people I want to mention aren't even mentioned yet in this story. But they're Mary and Joseph. This is what we know about Mary and Joseph. They are still in Bethlehem. If you notice from week one of this series, we said that Joseph was from Nazareth and he traveled to Bethlehem probably because he still owned some property, but that was not the place they lived. Now, if historians are right, and it could have been between six months to two years, they're still in Bethlehem. They're still there. This was not the plan for them. Their plan was Nazareth. It wasn't Bethlehem. So just in these three characters, I see three things that are going on at work that are so truthful about what God does in people's lives. The first thing concerning the Magi is God will meet you where you are at. God is showing himself to people who are so far away from him. And you may have people in your life who you think they will never, ever come to faith in Jesus. They're so far away. They're an atheist. They're an agnostic. They hate everything about God. Did you know that God is showing himself to the people who are even the furthest away from him? Shows us that God meets us where we're at. He met them in a sign, not an angel. Why? Because they believed in the signs. The second thing that we see is that man's heart is so selfish and insecure that the greatest thing that we, le- we feel losing in life is purpose in life. King Herod, he, he was so insecure and selfish But this is the sad thing about the story. He was so scared of losing his purpose, his identity, his kingdom. He didn't realize the one that had come, had come to give him purpose and identity and be part of the kingdom. The third thing that we see here is that our plans are always secondary to God's plans. Mary and Joseph may have planned Nazareth. But God had different plans. And when you follow the purposes of God, you have to be open because God's plans always are better than your plans. So let's continue reading this story in Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. It says this, when they saw the star over the house, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. 
Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Did you notice what happened? As soon as they got to the house where the star appeared, it says they were filled with joy. Their hearts were filled with joy. There was an excitement within them. There was this this joy that came within them. They did not even know what was in the house. They didn't know what the baby looked like. They did not know what kind of king the baby would be. They didn't know if this baby would grow up to be a tyrant or not. But there was something within them when they saw the star and they were about to enter the house that they were filled with joy. And that is something that God does to us. When we come to Jesus, there is something unique that our hearts are filled with joy. If you need some joy in your life today, then it's time to get close to Jesus. For he brings joy. And let's pause and ask ourselves for a moment. Are our hearts filled with joy at the prospect of seeing Jesus? Think about this Christmas. Are your hearts joyful because you get some gifts? Or you get some time off work, maybe? Or you get to go to some Christmas party? Or are they filled with joy because you get to wear an ugly sweater once a year? Are they filled with joy because you're going to get food? Are they filled with joy because your kids are going to get up at 4.30 in the morning and say, I want to open the gifts. Can we open now? Can we open now? Or are they filled with joy at the prospect of seeing Jesus? When you drove to church this morning, were your hearts filled with joy? When you came into this little upper room here, were your hearts filled with joy? See, the Magi knew there was something different. They knew as soon as they would go into that house, they would meet something, someone unique, and their hearts were filled with joy. Now, as these men entered the house, we see two expressions of worship. The Bible says that they bowed down, an act of humility, and then they went to their treasure chest and they gave gifts. And if you want to know how to worship God, then these pagan wise men, these pagan magi, show us the very definition of what worship is. It is coming to God in humility and it's saying, this is what we have. I give it to you. That is what worship is. Now, as these wise men entered the house, the Bible says that they were given three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, JR revealed to us last week that the signs point to that Mary and Joseph were poor. So could you imagine what happened with these gifts? They suddenly get gold, and they're poor. Frankincense and myrrh. I've always wondered, what did they do with these gifts? And sell them? Did did they put them away in a box, a a treasure box? Did they just shove them under the bed? I wonder what they did with those gifts. Did they go to a white elephant exchange gift party and say, here's some frankincense, do with it what you want? It's what these gifts were and what these gifts meant that have so much meaning. They weren't given out of love. They weren't given out of tradition. They weren't given out of obligation. There was meaning behind these gifts. So let's just very quickly look at them. Gold. They gave gold. We're not kind of sure kind of what they were given. I mean, a lot of people think they were given coins. 
They could have been clusters. They weren't gold bars. They weren't that refined those days. But probably they were ancient coins that they were given. Now, this is the deal about gold. If you love someone, right, you give them gold, right? The store, K's, right? K, they, they, they love it. Every kiss begins with K. Love is about giving gold, right? If a young man wants to propose to a young lady, then he goes broke before he does it because he's buying an expensive ring to give to her to show, I love you. By the way, I was, I was at a mall yesterday afternoon, and uh, I was going by a Louis Vuitton store, and there was all these guys lined up trying to get in. And this was my word, look at those schmucks, you know? <laughs> give it to their girlfriends who probably won't even be their girlfriends next year, you know? But that's what we do. We, we give gold, right? We give gold <laughs> out of love. That was not the case in ancient Israel. You did not give gold as a gift in ancient Israel. It was too precious. There was only one person you would give gold to, and that was a king. It was a king. When you met the king, you would present gold. You were declaring to that king, you are sovereign and you are powerful. Now imagine for a moment, the Magi come in. Who are these people? Where do they hear about your son? I haven't cleaned the house. Why are all these people coming in my house? Now they're coming in, and the first thing they present to you is a gift that you give to a king. Mary and Joseph knew the significance. They knew their child was special. See, the gift of gold was a gift of proclamation. He is king. And that's what Christmas is all about. When we come to Jesus at Christmas, we are declaring that newborn baby, he is king. He is king of his kingdom, and his kingdom shall reign forevermore. He is king. The significance of gold. And they come and they bring this thing called frankincense. What is frankincense? It's almost like these crystal little stones. And what they would come and do, they would come and, uh, uh, and they would put them in an in infuser or put them on a bowl and they would light them with a candle. And then this intense fragrance would come up. Now, as they probably lit this fragrance, Mary and Joseph knew exactly that smell. They'd smelt it many times before. For on the Day of Atonement, which was the day when the Israelites would sacrifice a lamb for the sins of, uh, of the people. The high priest would come and sacrifice a lamb. That the day of atonement, on the day of atonement, going near the temple, you smell this fragrance. For the high priest would be lighting this fragrance called frankincense as a sweet-smelling fragrance, as an offering to God. Now, Jewish law says that if you use frankincense for perfume, you should be put to death. So now Mary and Joseph, they're probably confused. Why are we getting frankincense? You're calling my son a high priest? He can't be a high priest. We're from the tribe of Judah. Judah. Only priests could come from the tribe of Levi. Why are you calling my, my, my son a high priest? But this is what the Magi was saying. The gift of frankincense, it's a gift of declaration. 
This boy is going to be our advocate before God. He is the one who is going to go before God before us. He's the one who's going to be our mouthpiece to God. He's going to be our lawyer, our friend before God. He is the one who who is going to go on our behalf before God. That's what the Magi was saying. Think these pagan men who weren't even Israelites. And they're declaring that Jesus is a high priest. But that's exactly what he is. Then lastly, they come and they bring this gift out. And it probably came in like a, a, a... a branch of a tree or maybe a leaf, and they probably started rubbing it together. And what was falling down was this spice called myrrh, came from a myrrh tree. Now Mary and Joseph, their emotions probably were stern at this point. For myrrh was common. Frankincense was not common, but myrrh was common. Everybody knew what myrrh was. Myrrh was the spice that you would rub on a dead body when you placed it in a tomb. You did not give myrrh as a gift. That's like you going to Christmas and giving coal as a gift. Saying, you've been a naughty boy. You did not give myrrh as a gift. It spoke of death. Now, why would they come and give a little boy, a, a baby boy, a gift that represents death? See the story of God that is happening in just three words, gold, frankincense, myrrh. See, God is continually pointing to his purpose and and, and what Jesus came to do. And this is what they're saying. They're saying the gift of myrrh is a gift of consecration. And for theology students, this is what it means. That Jesus is the propitiation of sin. Now, for those of you who have no idea what that means, this is what that means. Jesus became a sacrifice for your sin. Because you sinned, the result, the penalty was death. And so Jesus became the propitiation of sin, meaning that Jesus decided to say, hey, I'm going to take your place and I'm going to die in your place. So here is this little boy and here are the magi saying he is king, he is high priest, He is also the sacrifice for sin. These were not just random gifts on a family's wish list. You couldn't get these on Amazon. You probably could get them on Amazon today, but back then. These gifts were not gifts given out of love or tradition or obligation. They were gifts of worship. Ones of meaning. I've always been challenged by this story. How these three pagan, well, three pagan, I'm busting my own myth here. These pagan men came and bought these three gifts. They showed the godly how to worship. What I love about this story is that, remember I said that they, they were the only ones who an angel didn't appear to? They saw the sign. But the Bible tells us after they saw Jesus, they did not return to Herod for God directed them not to in a dream. It's funny, in this moment, God is using the same methods to speak to the Magi that he used to speak to the Israelites, to Mary, to Joseph, to the shepherds. So as we close today, and before we do our white elephant gift exchange and we have some fun and we see what crazy gifts you guys bought, I want to ask you three questions. 
See, Christmas is about a king who became our priest, who gave up his life so that we could live. And these are the three questions I really want you to think about this week. As maybe you're finishing Christmas, store, uh, Christmas uh, shopping and you're preparing for what Christmas is all about. You've only got one week left to go, people. <laughs> exactly. As you've got so much on your mind in the busyness of the season, these are the three questions I want us to contemplate this week. How are your actions proclaiming that Jesus is King? How are your actions declaring that Jesus is your advocate before God? And how are your actions positioning your life in consecration to the one who gave everything for you. I just love this story because it tells me everything who Jesus is. He's our King. He's our King. He is the one who rules and reigns forever. Today we were singing, there's no other name One day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that He is Lord. And that is our King. He's my priest. I don't have to go to some sinful guy to say, Father, forgive me for I've sinned. For there is Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God who every day of my life is petitioning God. The Bible says that he is making intercession on my behalf. He's going before me. Every single day of our lives, when we're thinking about him, when we're not thinking about him, he's our priest. But he's also our sacrifice. You deserve death. You did not deserve God. I didn't deserve God. But this is what Jesus did. He says, you know what? Yes, you didn't deserve it. You're a mess. Alex, you're a bigger mess. But this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to say, step aside, sit down and watch. For I'm going to give up my life for you. So this Christmas... How are you showing gold to our king? How are you burning your frankincense to the priest? How are you wrapping the body of Christ with myrrh to thank him for the sacrifice he's made? Let's bow our heads in prayer. So just before we, just going to open some gifts in a moment. I want to pray for us. And I want to pray that this Christmas will be so meaningful. That even on Christmas morning, when you open gifts, if you have gifts, that you'll be reminded of the gifts of the Magi. Not given out of love, 
not giving out of tradition, not giving out of obligation, but giving out of true worship to who Jesus is. And I pray that this Christmas in your life will be a Christmas where you will declare that He is King, He is priest, He is sacrifice. He is sovereign, He is powerful, He is our advocate. He is my propitiation of sin. So Father God, this morning we just thank You that You sent Jesus, Your one and only Son, Not just to come as a baby to have a great Christmas story about. But Jesus, you sent him to show that your kingdom reigns now and forevermore. You sent him to come and be our voice piece, be be an advocate for us. You sent him to give up his life for our sin. And so this morning, God, in this place, we are just so thankful for what you have done. We are so thankful for who you are and what you're yet to do. We declare this morning that the kingdom of God reigns. That our king is king over all. And that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to who Jesus is. And we thank you that our King is sovereign. Our King is our priest. Our King gave up everything for us. So in an act of worship, we say thank you today. In your name we pray.